James 1, beginning at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Martin Luther evaluated the letter of James, he didn't think much of it, calling it an epistle of straw. Luther thought that James taught a kind of works righteousness, that we can earn our salvation through our own good works. Luther was very sensitive to this teaching since he had been raised in the Roman Catholic Church, which taught that you must do good works in order to be saved. He felt that James did not uphold the Bible's teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. So what are we to make of Luther's critique of James's letter? We would all agree with Luther that you cannot get to heaven by doing good works. Yet there's also another mistake that Christians often make. It is to think that you can get to heaven without doing good works. You see, beloved, while salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, a person with a living faith in Jesus Christ will show his faith in his works. Jesus taught that you'll know a tree by its fruits. It is impossible for those joined to Christ by a true faith not to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. James was writing to churches of people who presented themselves as Christians and perhaps even thought of themselves as Christians. Within these churches were people who claimed to be Christians but who in actual fact were not. Some of these people confessed Christ with words but did not live a Christian life at all. If you examined their life for a week, you would not see much difference between how they and their unbelieving neighbor conducted their lives. It's possible for us to think that we are Christians because we attend church. Now, attending church is really important. 
For the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. But simply attending church does not make you a Christian. We may think that we're making progress in the Christian life because we listen to the preaching and we have a regular routine of reading the Bible. Those are good habits. But hearing the gospel is not the same as believing it and living it. One of the main themes of James's letter is that faith without works is dead. A living faith will be evident in the fruits of faith that it produces in our lives. Preach you the word of God under the following theme. James teaches us what pure and undefiled religion before God is. He calls us to receive the word and to be doers of the word. Last time we learned that God is good and the overflowing fountain of all good. James made clear that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from our gracious Heavenly Father. The greatest gift that God gives us is that He causes us to be born again through the Word of Truth. The Word of Truth is the Gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins, that He rose again to grant us new life in Him. This is the good news that transforms people's lives. It brings us from out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. In our text, James continues to focus on this word of truth by which God works new birth in us. In verse 21 of our text, James writes about receiving the implanted word which is able to save your souls. God has planted his word in our hearts, but that word needs to grow and to come to maturity, for it's in this way that the word saves us. For this word to grow in us, we need to receive it with meekness. Receiving the word is the opposite of rejecting it. Receiving the word with meekness means to receive it with a humble heart, to submit ourselves to it. Not everyone receives the word in this kind of way. We see that from the parable of the sower sowing seed, which Jesus taught in Mark 4. Jesus describes how a farmer went out scattering seed on his field. The seed is a symbol for the word of God. Just like that seed fell on different kinds of soil, so God's word has different receptions in the hearts of people. Sometimes the preaching of the gospel is like seeds scattered on a path, eaten by birds. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in such people. Sometimes the preaching is like seed scattered on rocky ground. It germinates and sprouts, but the plant has no roots. And when the sun bears down on it, the plant dies. Some people receive the word with joy. But when trials and persecution come, such people immediately fall away because the gospel has not taken root in their hearts. 
Sometimes the preaching of the gospel is like seeds sown among thorns. Some people hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's only when the seed falls into good soil that it produces fruit. Jesus teaches that we need to hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So is there anything that we can do so God's word may take root and grow and bear fruit in our lives? There are a number of things that really hinder the growth of the word in us. James identifies four things we need to do to allow God's word to do its work in our hearts. He writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He adds the command for us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James tells us we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. If you want to grow in knowledge and wisdom, You'll learn more by listening than by speaking. It is, as someone once once observed, God has given us two ears and only one mouth so that we may hear more and speak less. Beloved, in our interactions together, we don't always listen well and hear what the other is really saying. Instead, we're often busy Preparing our response. At times we cut the other person off. It's especially the case when the other person's viewpoint is different from ours. We're not always willing to submit ourselves to another, especially when they're trying to show us our weakness or to correct something wrong in our lives. We also need to be quick to hear for God's word to have any impact on our hearts and lives. As a preacher, I'm sensitive to the fact that my personality or my view on certain things can get in the way of people truly listening to what comes from the pulpit. If any of you struggle with that, it's good to try and resolve whatever issues there are so you can truly be fed by the preaching of the gospel. More generally, it is important to come to church well-rested with the intent of truly hearing God's word. You need to concentrate on what's being said, to focus on trying to understand the message. The point's simple. The gospel will not have any effect on our lives if we don't put any kind of effort into listening to it. James goes on to point out something else that often stands in the way of truly receiving the word of God in our hearts. He tells us to be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Think of how the Lord Jesus entered the temple courts and found that people had made the temple into a marketplace. Making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them out of the temple because he was consumed by zeal for God's house. The problem is that our anger is rarely righteous. We get mad about trivial things. 
about a driver who cuts us off on the road or some poorly synchronized traffic lights that make us late for an appointment or about a referee hurting our team with a bad call. We get angry when our spouse doesn't give us the attention that we think we deserve or when our kids do something we think is dumb. We can hold a grudge against brothers and sisters in the congregation because in some way they've hurt us and we're not prepared to confront and seek repentance, to forgive and to be reconciled. Our anger is often tainted with self-importance, with intolerance and stubbornness. Anger makes it difficult to get along with other people. It also forms an obstacle to humbly receiving the word of God. At some point or in some way, the word of God is going to address your heart about something that makes you angry. In that state, will you be quick to listen? Will you be willing to receive a message that hits you in a sore spot? If you're living in unrepentant sin and the sermon addresses this, are you inclined to really listen, to take it to heart? There's someone in church with whom you have unresolved issues. And I preach a sermon about the need to forgive one another. Will you be quick to hear? Besides anger, there's another block to humbly receiving the implanted word. James writes, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Please note how James uses the language of putting off filth and wickedness. In the Bible, the language of putting off is used more often to refer to putting away the old sinful way of life. Putting off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes is used as a metaphor for conversion and for a new way of life. James first tells us to put away wickedness and then to receive the word and the salvation that comes through it. To us, that seems backwards. No one can put off wickedness before receiving the word. Instead, it's the word implanted in our hearts that the Holy Spirit uses to help us put off wickedness. There's no way that conversion and a new way of life are worked in us without God working in us by his word and spirit. And yet, beloved, in our text, James is speaking pastorally to brothers and sisters in the churches. When we observe how things happen in people's lives, a desire to break free from wickedness often precedes an interest in God's word. When you talk with new converts, it's often their desire to clean up their lives that leads them to church. You see, beloved, the Spirit will often work a desire for change within us. We get tired of walking in the ways of sin, or of dealing with the guilt that our sins provoke within us, of imagining the shame that will occur if people found out what we're really like, of spiraling downward through the addictions in our lives. 
We want freedom. We want peace. We want joy. Yet to get it, we need to receive humbly the implanted word. Know that although James tells us to put off filth and wickedness, unlike Paul, he does not tell us to put on certain virtues. Instead, he tells us to receive the word, the gospel of salvation. You know why that is, beloved? It's because the word of God, it's the word of God that will actually transform our lives. The implanted word takes deep roots in our lives and it begins to grow. It convicts us of our sins and assures us of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. It causes us to repent of our sins, to seek forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. Through the word, the Spirit works faith within us and he creates new life. The result is that we more and more hate our sins and flee from them. And that it becomes a joy and delight for us to live according to God's word and will. That's how the Spirit brings forth good fruit in our lives. And so, beloved, I want to ask you, are you willing to humbly receive the word of God in your heart and in your life? Do you make it a priority to read the Bible and spend time on family devotions? Do you speak about how the Bible relates to your lives? Do you attend church faithfully? And when you come to church, do you come well-rested and ready to listen? Or is partying late Saturday night more important? And is it okay to sleep in church or to be mentally distracted during the sermon? Really what I'm asking, beloved, is whether or not you care to be instructed in the way of salvation. Is your heart open to the gospel? Do you recognize that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? The word of God, blessed with the Spirit, saves lives, changes hearts, redirects behavior. It's the means God has ordained to open the kingdom of heaven to believers and to close it to unbelievers. Faith comes from hearing the message and hearing through the word of Christ. If you desire the salvation of your soul, you need to humbly receive the implanted word of God. In our text, James is teaching us what pure and undefiled religion before God is. In our first point, we've seen James call us to receive the word. In our second point, we'll consider the call to be doers of the word. In his letter, James stresses that it's not enough to be a hearer of God's word. James writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James stresses that there's more to faith than giving an intellectual consent to what the Bible teaches. If we truly receive God's word, we'll also be doers of that word. 
A living faith in Jesus Christ will show itself in works. James learned this from his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus talked about how on the final day, people would claim a connection with him because they prophesied or cast out demons in his name. But Jesus will reject them. He will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus made it clear we need to submit to his word. To obey his commands in order to be considered his followers. In our text, James teaches the need for us to be doers of the word. By using the example of looking in a mirror. We need to understand that in ancient times they did not have clear mirrors like we do today. Their mirrors were like looking into a shiny spoon. You'd have to look carefully and examine yourself from various angles in order to see what you really look like. Now some people don't spend much time in front of mirrors. They give the mirror a casual glance, and if everything seems okay, they move on with their day. Others spend more time because they're more conscious of their appearance. They're concerned about presenting themselves well. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to spend hours in front of a mirror to try improve our outward appearance. In our text, James is not concerned about that either. He uses looking in a mirror as an example, to make a point. The mirror that James is referring to is the perfect law of liberty. For James, the law of God is not a burdensome set of commandments that put a drag on our freedom. James knows that God has given us his commandments for our good. God's commands teach us how to live in the freedom that Christ has earned for us. Living in accordance with God's commands brings joy and peace. Now, how do you work with God's law in your life? Just as some people only give the mirror a quick glance and go away forgetting what they look like, so some Christians don't spend any time comparing their lives with how God wants them to live. We can all be like that, beloved. We hear the Ten Commandments read on Sunday morning, but we kind of zone out because we've heard it all before. We don't make any effort to examine our lives according to God's commands. We're not really interested in being confronted with our sins and our weaknesses. We don't give the Spirit opportunity to convict us of our sins. So we will seek forgiveness in the blood of Christ. Yet that's not what God expects from his people. God wants us to be like a person who takes a good hard look at himself in the mirror of his law. He wants us to be well aware of our sins and shortcomings. So we repent and seek forgiveness in the blood of Christ. But that's not all. God's commandments also serve as a rule of thankfulness. 
They teach us how to show forth our gratitude to God for the salvation work of Jesus Christ. It's by living in accordance with the law of liberty that we please God. People who hear God's law but don't do it are not really Christians. Going to church and agreeing that God exists and that he sent his son to save sinners will not save you. It's true that salvation is by faith alone. But our faith needs to be a living faith. It needs to be a faith that takes God's word seriously. A faith that manifests itself in works. It's one of the central points that James makes in his letter. He makes it abundantly clear that faith without works is dead. To drive the point home, James gives some examples of what authentic faith is. James makes it clear that true devotion to God shows itself in concrete acts of love and righteousness. We can measure our spirituality by whether or not we live up to this standard that God has set for us. James gives three tests of what true religion is. James uses these tests to get each one of us to examine our own lives, to see if we truly are doers of the word. James writes, If anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. It is striking that James's first example of genuine faith is that someone bridles his tongue. If you're into horse riding, you know that you can control your horse with a bit and a bridle. The bit sits in a horse's mouth. It's connected with a bridle and reins. By means of bit and bridle, a rider can direct a horse where to go. Thus, bridling the tongue means to rein it in, to exercise control out of what comes out of our mouths. Why does James begin his test of whether a person's religion is pure and undefiled? By challenging us on our speech. Is this really the most serious sin? Why does James say that if we don't control our tongues, we may as well be heathen, because all the rest of our religion is worthless? The point that James is making is that the mouth is the gateway of the heart. It gives voice to our inner thoughts. What lives inside of us is often expressed through what we say. You see, beloved, we can be very religious and speak with fellow brothers and sisters about how we are to serve the Lord. We can have great insight into the dangers of world conformity and warn others about this. But if in the midst of our pious talk, we make rash judgments about how brothers and sisters are living their lives, and we gossip about them, and we drag their name through the mud, then our religion's not worth much. 
The problem in such situations is that we don't even always realize our sin. James speaks about how those who don't control their tongues deceive themselves. They don't even see that what they're doing is wrong. They're shocked when you confront them with the fact that they've spoken about you negatively to others. They tend to be in denial about the fact that they've sinned. Some people are so accustomed to shooting off their mouths, they don't even see that what they're doing is wrong. But James says, if you're not controlling your tongue, your religion is worthless. James gives a second test to see whether or not we're just hearers, but also doers of the word. He writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Note that James describes God in this verse as God the Father. James does this to stress that our brothers and sisters are members of God's family, and that as Father, God loves them. If God loves our brothers and sisters, then we ought to love one another. And we ought to show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. In our text, James mentions caring for widows and orphans in their affliction. We need to understand that in James' day, widows and orphans were extremely vulnerable. They did not have a breadwinner in their home. They had few rights. They were easily exploited. During his time on earth, the Lord Jesus accused the Jewish leaders of oppressing widows. In Mark 12, verse 40, he spoke about how they devour widows' houses. Thus, James is teaching us that if we're truly religious, if we have a real faith in Jesus Christ, we will care for and support those who are the most vulnerable among us. True care is seen not just in providing their needs with money to live, but in supporting and encouraging them in the midst of their trials. James gives one final test so that we can examine our spirituality. It is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here James speaks about our walk of life. Are we walking with God and living in obedience to his commands? Or are we being conformed to the ways of this world? The world often has more influence on us than we like to admit. As Christians, we're affected by the individualism and the materialism of our society. We tend to buy into the philosophy that we all deserve a little bit of happiness in life. We're not always good stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasure. We need to ask ourselves, how is my life different from that of my unbelieving neighbor? If you see a lot of similarities, then you're likely not keeping yourself unstained from the world. This morning's text is pretty challenging, isn't it, beloved? 
Are you just a hearer of the word of God? Or is your heart truly open to the gospel? Do you receive it as coming from God and allow it to mold and to shape your life? Do you just profess to be a Christian? Or are you actually a doer of the word? How did you fare in examining yourself on the tests of your faith? Do you control what comes out of your mouth? Do you give support and encouragement to the weak and the needy among us? Are you keeping yourself unstained from this world? None of us can reach the standard of perfection God has set out for us in this law. And we don't have to either, beloved. Jesus Christ has done that for us. He lived a pure and holy life in perfect obedience to all God's commandments. And then he presented himself to God as a sin offering on our behalf. By his blood, Jesus has covered all our sins and shortcomings. Out of thankfulness, we're now called to live holy lives to God. To show forth that we have a living faith by living God-pleasing lives. So how can we show that we're not just hearers but also doers of the word? We need to learn to control our tongue. We need to learn to open our hands in generous giving. We need to learn to keep our hearts pure. That's true religion at its deepest and finest. If we live in such a way, people will see that we're not just involved in religious activities, but that we are truly religious. They will see that we not only claim to be Christians, but that we're actually followers of Christ. It's that kind of life that's actually pleasing to the Lord. May God, by his word and spirit, help us to live in that kind of way. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 15.